we started this Follow Me sermon series with the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And we were reminded that Jesus met the disciples in the middle of their everyday lives. And it's in those places that he extended that invitation to join him, to come be a part of what he was doing. Then along their journey together, in addition to showing the disciples how it looked to live by faith, there were a few times where, where he talked about what was involved with following him. So, so two weeks ago, we, we explored the place where, where, where he said, I, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life, the real life, the abundant life, the full life. And then last week, we, we talked about that, that conversation that Jesus had about setting priorities, the, the place in Scripture where, where he invites children to come to him. And then he talks about finances and wealth. It, it was the reminder that following Jesus should shape how we, we set goals, how we see our achievements, and, and really about what we value. This morning, we're getting closer to the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. The disciples knew, knew him as well as anyone could. They, they had heard him preach. They saw him perform all kinds of miracles. They watched him interact with both common people and the religious elite. Simon Peter, the, the fisherman who, who fell to his knees after catching an abundance of fish after he first met Jesus, had just declared that Jesus indeed was the Messiah. And then picking up at Matthew chapter 16, verse 21, we read this. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and, and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do, not, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I, I can't read this passage without hearing the story that I, I've shared a few times here at Westminster. Uh, whenever I hear those words, pick up your cross and follow me, it immediately comes to mind. This story does. It's the story of the Koinonia farm. Started in Georgia and in the year 1942 by a man named Clarence Jordan. His faith completely shaped his priorities, how he did his business, how he interacted with his neighbors and community, how he, how he, uh, how he loved people. He, he believed that every worker on his farm should be paid the exact same wage, regardless of their skin color, regardless of their background. And that frustrated other farmers in the area because it meant that they couldn't find cheap labor anymore. 
In the early 50s, those farmers, they tried to shut him down and they, they took him to court. Clarence, he goes and asks his brother, who was a prominent lawyer, to represent him. And his brother Robert said, no, no, you know that I can't do that. You know about my political aspirations. It would cost way too much. And Clarence replied, we grew up in the same church. We joined the exact same Sunday. But when the preacher asked if we followed Jesus, what did you say, Robert? Robert said, I follow Jesus, Clarence, but only up to a point. I follow him to the cross, but I'm not getting myself crucified. Robert's response, it's always haunted me. It's always challenged me. What's that point for me? How would I respond if I were in a similar place? How might you? Or maybe the better question is, what sort of reaction do you have to what Jesus shared in that moment with the disciples. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Losing life to save it. It's a lot. I love Eugene Peterson's translation of Jesus' words here. Anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. Follow me and I'll show you how. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way, my way, to finding yourself, your true self. What kind of deal is it to get everything you want but lose yourself? What could you ever trade for your soul? What could you ever trade your soul for? There is so much to unpack here. But at the most basic level, it's a reminder that following Jesus, it comes with a cost. These words are an invitation that beg us to give up a whole lot to risk everything in order to experience the life that God intended us to live, to be a part of what God is doing in the world today. But before we unpack the details around the cost of discipleship, there's this nuance in Matthew's writing that I I don't think we can afford to miss. It starts with the stinging words that Jesus says to Peter after he gives the forecast about what's coming to the disciples. Peter pulls him aside and says, no, no, no. And Jesus sternly responds, get behind me, Satan. But before we chastise Peter for arguing with Jesus too much, put yourself in his place. He's tied everything, his entire life to Jesus and to Jesus' message. In his mind, Jesus' death meant the end of this movement. And realistically, it might not be quite as is drastic, but how often do we do the same sort of thing? We read something in the Bible that's hard to swallow or hard to understand, and we think, that was then, the world was different, but, but now it, the world is different. Or, or we say, nah, sorry, I've got a better plan. And Jesus' response to Peter, it's strong, and it's a reminder to him and to us that it's impossible, it's impossible to follow Jesus and walk in front of him at the same time. Get behind him. Jesus moves from that rebuke to an equally difficult lesson about partnering and perspective. Peter wasn't alone in his thinking. In in the collective mind of those first disciples, Jesus wasn't just a religious leader. He was the Messiah, the anointed king. The, The next move should have been to sit down together and to lay out a strategy to get rid of the priests and the kings that were in charge of Israel and to find some way, some way to put Jesus on their throne. 
Something along the lines of a, a march to Jerusalem, gathering supporters along the way, taking over the temple, and then announcing that that kingdom of God, the age to come that we talked about last week, that it had arrived then and now. But instead it's lose your life to gain it. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. When Mark and Luke tell the story, Jesus says those words to a larger crowd, but here in Matthew, it's just to the disciples. Now the disciples, they had already dropped everything to follow him. Why did Jesus need to, to feel, uh, feel the importance of turning and just talking to them again? I think it's because discipleship is ongoing. There was still room for Peter to grow. There was still room for the disciples to grow. The same is true for you and for me. We will always have room to grow when it comes to following Jesus. There's a moment when kids are learning to swim, when they, they push off the edge of the pool and they realize they can't touch. They either panic and they reach out or they, they turn back and, and swim back to that ledge or they keep going forward. A couple of weeks ago, our family was swimming at a friend's house and my, my son, who who can swim but just isn't quite that confident yet, he, he jumped into the deep end while holding on to one of those inflatable tubes or rings that was entirely too big for him. I watched the whole thing happen. He went through the center of the floaty and, and did exactly what he was supposed to do. He swam to the side of the pool without any assistance. And it wasn't until he got there that he realized what had happened. He could actually swim. But he had to let go of the safety net first. He also still has plenty to learn, plenty of room to grow before he's some sort of accomplished swimmer. So one of the questions for us around this passage is, what might you need to let go of, to lose or to surrender in order to follow Jesus? What is getting in the way? There's a debate among theologians about what Jesus actually meant when he said, Take up your cross and follow me. Was it literal? Be prepared to lose your life, just as Jesus was going to lose his. Or is it an ongoing metaphor? Deny yourself for the sake of Christ daily. Either way, Jesus is emphasizing that following him isn't intended to be glamorous. It isn't intended to be easy. It was and it is serious and costly. Now, I imagine that Jesus saw the horror on the disciples' faces as he shared. So he asks this rhetorical question. Is it really worth it to gain the world, all the honors, all the accomplishments, everything it has to offer, if it's going to cost you in the long run? He reminds them of the big picture. Yes, following Jesus is going to seem incredibly costly. It is costly. Costly. But there's also a significant reward coming during the day of judgment when the Son of Man returns with his angels. Now, if you've spent a lot of time around the Presbyterian Church and you, you, you know your Reformed theology, you might read these words and want to shout, Reward? Sola fide! Sola fide! Faith alone! Faith alone! John Calvin reads passages like this and he points out that justification by faith, that doctrine... In judgment by works, they are fully compatible. Because in both justification and judgment, we're treated fair beyond what we deserve. When N.T. Wright reflects on this passage, he points to the, the sequel to Alice in Wonderland, Alice Through the Looking Glass. And he uses it as an illustration. 
in the world that Lewis Carroll created for the, the second book. In order to function, you had to work to see the world in a way that seemed counterintuitive, that seemed backwards. It would take a lot, a whole lot of kind of sustained effort to walk through life while looking through a mirror. Lose to save, surrender to gain. This week, I want to invite you to ask that question. What is getting in the way? Be honest. What might you need to let go of as you follow Jesus? Will you pray with me? Loving and gracious God, grant us the courage to surrender those things or that thing that might be getting in the way of us following you. We pray these things in your name. Amen.